As we continue through our Advent series, remember we start a little early because I get a little long-winded and I can never finish something in four weeks. And so we're going to continue with this idea that we are preparing for Christmas. We are preparing the church for the coming, the celebration of the coming of Jesus. And our text this morning is Isaiah 5 through 11, which we just read. Now, last week, uh, we went through verses 3 through 5, but we didn't spend a lot of time unpacking verse 5, which says, And the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all people will see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. And so let's pray. God, I want to thank you for your grace and your mercy, for your love, for your affection to your church and to your children. And Lord, I pray that this morning that your word would penetrate deep into our heart and soul and that it would continue the change that only you can render in us. That you're changing hearts, you're changing souls, you're changing lives, Lord, one person at a time through the glory of the gospel. And so, Lord, the words of my mouth, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. So last week we're talking about this preparing of the road, verses 3 and 4, about um, that, that these mountaintops will be made low and these, these uh, valleys will be raised up. And so there's a lowering and there's a hiring of something. And we, and we kind of, we kind of uh, led it into that Jesus has humbled himself. Jesus came from eternity down to earth to become one of us, to save us. And so there was a lowering of Christ. And that Mary, this peasant girl, this woman of, of no stature in her cultural setting, she was raised up as the angel of the Lord appeared to her and called her favored one. And so there's this lowering and a raising. And so we kind of said, okay, well, what does that look like as we prepare for the coming of Christ, not, not only as we celebrate Christmas, but in our own lives, because there, there should always be a preparing of our hearts and our souls for Christ, for deeper intimacies with Christ in our own lives. And so we kind of wrestle with this idea of the mountains that we have built in our lives, those, those barriers to the things of God, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the, uh, the pride of life, that we would begin to take those things and surrender them to the foot of the cross. That those mountains that we have built up, that we would surrender them to Christ at the cross. And then, in the valley of our surrender, the Lord comes and He will raise us up. He is the one that does the raising. He will lift us up. And then we come to verse 5, and it talks about the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all people will see it together. You know, there's no, there's no real way for us as finite creatures to understand God. There's no real way for us on our own, through intellect, through philosophy, even through religion. There's no way for us to really understand who God is and the things of God unless He opens our hearts through the power of the Holy Spirit, and He reveals those things to us. That's the revelation of God to us, and that's how we can grow in intimacy. That's how we can grow in our knowledge and understanding of who God is. It's His work in us. But there's also another way that God reveals Himself to us, and it's by manifesting His glory here on earth. 
Now the, the word glory, the Hebrew word kabod for glory, not kabod, but kabod. Make sure you get that right in your lunch conversations. Uh, the meaning is, it's, it's so deep with meaning. Weight, heaviness, burden, riches, reputation, important, importance, distinction, honor. All of, those, all of those definitions are just kind of floating around in that one word, glory. And I could spend... I can spend six months going through what the consequences of the glory of the Lord mean for us as humans, what it, what it means for us in our own lives. But time prohibits me, and the season of Advent doesn't go six months, so we're just going to kind of just understand there's a lot going on in that one word. And the Lord reveals His glory through Psalm 19 says, the heavens declare his glory. And we see his glory through creation. If you just give yourself a moment to take it all in, if you, if you give yourself time to just look around and see the glory that God has created around us, the simple things like sunrises and sunsets and mountains and oceans, I mean, those are, those are the big things, but the glory of the Lord resides in there and all creation shouts out that glory. And he reveals himself to us. I mean, so many pictures on Facebook uh, this time of year, or you know, a few months past, about people taking pictures of the, the season change and the colors of the trees, the glory of the Lord revealed. And he also reveals it through his, throughout history. How many empires would rise up to say that they would control the world? And the Lord says, oh, nay, nay, and brings them and humbles them. And we see the glory of the Lord revealed through, through the Bible. Story after story, the glory of the Lord. But I'm going to say that there is no one place that the full weight of the glory of God comes into our sight, into our experience. And it's, it's, it's the revelation of the glory of the Lord in Jesus Christ. Nowhere in the scripture do I, as I read through it, is the Lord's glory more revealed than in the person of Jesus Christ. And on Christmas Day, that first Christmas, I mean, you remember the story in Luke where it says that the, the shepherds were watching their, their flocks by night and the angel of the Lord appeared to them. And what? The glory of the Lord surrounded them and they were terrified. But the angel said, fear not, for behold, today I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be for all people. For unto you born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. The glory of the Lord revealed in Jesus Christ. Moses, I like the story of Moses. He had chutzpah, and he said to God, he said, show me your glory. And God says, all right, I like you. I'm going to do this for you. I'm going to put you in this rock here, and when I walk by, I'm going to cover you with my hand, and then you're going to kind of see where I was, because if you looked right at my face, you'll explode. And I know that's a little paraphrasing, but you, you get the gist. And, and so God does that, and Moses gets to see just where the glory of the Lord, kind of where the Lord passed by. But yet now in Jesus Christ, with the incarnation of, of, of Christ coming to earth and living among us, we see the, the Son revealing the Father in all of his fullness. Colossians talks about that, um, that this fullness of Jesus is now, is now our fullness, that we can live this full life. And then in Hebrews chapter 1, the radiance of God's glory is reflected in the Son. The Son is the exact representation of the Father. We see the full glory of the Lord in Jesus Christ. Humanity, for a very long time, they have been trying, we have been trying, to, to fix this whole mess that we're in. 
And we go through some really crazy things to try to reel it all back in. We try to get peace and we try to get harmony. We want to make the world kind of just a livable place. We want it to uh, just kind of flow a little bit smoother, settle down. It's been kind of our quest since the fall. It's been our quest since the beginning. It's been the goal of empires and kingdoms and kings. It's been the goal of, of governments and politicians. It's even philosophers, even religions have said, we need to do something. We need to reel this all back in and make it somewhat peaceful and meaningful. But I'm here to tell you that no human wisdom is ever going to fix this thing. No human ingenuity, no human plan is ever going to bring it all back into the order that it, which it was originally made in the garden. We just can't do that. Something other than us has to fix the mess that we made. Our salvation, the salvation through the entire, of the entire world, of all of creation, is the manifest glory of God in the person of Jesus Christ. That's our answer. That's the answer. And as we move deeper into this text, verse 6 through 8, it says, A voice says, cry out. And I said, well, what shall I say? All people are like grass, and all their faithfulness is like flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, because the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God endures forever. You know, as, as, as I read this, there seems to be a little tension brewing up in, in Isaiah. He's, there's something that's troubling him a little bit. And he's trying to figure it out. He says, okay, God, you want me to call out, but what do I say? What do I shout out? What am I supposed to do here? And God's answer, as we kind of flesh this out, is going to be the gospel. He's going to tell him the gospel message. But before that, we can see this, this internal struggle within Isaiah. He's trying to get his mind around why God is going to do such a thing. For his, I mean, we, have, we, we are a fallen creation. And he's trying to figure out what's in this God that he wants to, to save all this. I mean... God said, don't travel down that road, because if you go down that road, you're going to end up getting yourself into trouble and you're going to cause problems. And so what did humanity do? We did exactly what we weren't supposed to do. And we traveled down that road and we got ourselves into trouble. And now God says, I'm going to fix it. And see, Isaiah is really wrestling with this whole idea. Why is God going to fix it? Why is, why is he coming here? Why is he going to become one of us? Why is he going to experience hunger and thirst? And, and why is he going to suffer? Why, why is he going to die? It's almost good, too good to be true that our sin, really, our sin is going to be forgiven. Our hard service will be over. And that we will be blessed doubly by the Lord. In double, the Lord wants to pour out his blessings. And not only is he dealing with the, the why, but, but how. How is this all going to take place? Like, like, it just doesn't, it's not making sense. Humanity is frail. We're weak. We, 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 we die. We're like grass. And we're like flowers of the fields. We wither. We fall away. We're not permanent. Generation after generation after generation have come to the same fates. We are, we are born in weakness. We struggle in life, and then we die. Merry Christmas. <laughs> and so there can be a real difficulty to, why should I believe the gospel? 
Why, what is it about this whole thing? That, that Why should I engage this? And I believe our answer is right at the end of verse 8. But the word of our God endures forever. We, we don't get to be permanent. We don't get to live forever. The grass withers and the flowers fall. But the word of our God endures forever. Scripture itself testifies that the word of the Lord endures forever. And yes, we know it's been written by people, but we believe that it's been inspired by the work of the Holy Spirit, that it's God's revelation to humanity of, of his character and his nature. And we can go through the scripture and we can look at all of the prophecies that God spoke and how they just kind of came to pass, just like they said they were going to come to pass over, over centuries. And we can see the consistency of the scripture throughout the entire book, how it's God's revelation from front to back. But there's something more compelling for me there's something more compelling in this idea that the Word of God endures forever. And it's about the power that is in the Word of God. My Word fails. My Word is, like we said last week, I don't think people are going to be listening to me a thousand years from now. They might. I doubt it. And I doubt any of you, your journals are going to be this hidden treasure in the Smithsonian going, Oh, did you see what they said? They went to, what's the Starbucks thing he talks about so much? You know, so I don't think it's, it's going to be there. But we know that the word of the Lord, not only does it endure, but it has, it has power. There, there is power in the word of God. We know that the, the world is a hard place and we know that we have yet to fix it. In fact, we know that we're never, going to be ever, we're never going to be able to fix it. We know that the enemy, we cannot stand against the enemy who controls this world. Not on our own. And this enemy is beaten back, how? By the power of the word of God. When Jesus was in, uh, when he was going, when he was in the desert and the, and the enemy came and tempted him, what did he use? He used the word of God as, as his armor, as his shield, as his sword, and he drove back the enemy. That's where our power stands. That's, that's what we believe in. And we know that, that as, as God has as, uh, prophesied over these things and they've come to pass, that eventually all of his prophecy will come to pass. It will come to completion. The only victory that we get to live in is the victory that we have in the cross, the victory that we have in the gospel, the victory because of Christ's victory. The word of God endures forever and there is power in those words. John chapter 1, it said, The Word became flesh. There is power in Christ. And that Word endures forever. And here we see in this, the context of all these texts, that it's the power of our salvation. It's the power to overcome evil. It's the power to overcome our brokenness. And rest assured, church, that God will finish what He has started. Rest assured, church, that all... That, that he wins, and that as we move through this book, his promise of a new heaven and a new earth will come to, to fulfillment. He has done everything he said he'd done, he would do up to this point, and we know that he will continue on till it's finished, till it's completed. And I know that that can be a little nerve-wracking at times, because when we think about that whole completion thing, we have to think about God's judgment. I mean, in Acts chapter 17, he said he has set the day by which the world will be judged by his justice. 
And, and that, could be, that could be a little stressful. I, I understand that. But we cannot embrace the Christmas story unless we embrace God's whole plan of salvation for his creation. We can't, just, we can't just like the Christmas story and forget about all the other stuff. We have to take the whole thing that God will one day finish it and put it all back together again. And there will be a judgment. In John chapter 12, Jesus said that, that if you hear my words and you don't follow my words, then the very word I've spoken to you, you will be condemned by. You will be judged by. But I'm telling you, those who have followed Jesus Christ, for those, you will know grace and mercy. You will know the love of God poured out on, to, uh, on you like you've never, ever could imagine or never seen before. Then as we move through, the voices cry out. And I said, what shall I cry? All people are like grass and all their faithfulness is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall because the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God endures forever. And I believe what God will reveal to the prophet is the gospel itself. You who bring good news to Zion... Go up on a high mountain. You who bring good news to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with a shout. Lift it up. Do not be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, here is your God. He tells the prophet, you, you got some good news to share. Go share it. Go shout it out. Don't be afraid. Get up on the mountaintop and just like, let it rip. This is amazing, good news for the world to hear. And But sometimes I think we're afraid to speak the gospel. Sometimes I think we're afraid to speak the good news because, well, it's not politically correct and somebody might become offended. But it's good news. When the Giants won the, the Super Bowl, it was good. Nobody got mad at, well, some people did, but the, the true... Football fans did not get mad at me for speaking that the Giants won the Super Bowl. It's good news. But you see, I think sometimes we don't make it out to be such good news. I think sometimes we don't share it as good news. Like, you know, hey, um, you're a horrible, broken person, and you're going to burn in hell if you don't change teams. Oh, sign me up. I'm in. I'll become a Christian. And I know that that sounds really ridiculous, but there might be some theological truth woven in there, but that's not the good news of the gospel. That is not the good news. Here's the good news. Here's the gospel. God knows that we are broken, and God knows that we can't fix ourselves. And he sent Jesus to fix us. The gospel says that God loves us so much that he's willing to take the blame for our sin against him if we would just believe in Jesus. The gospel says that God loves us so much, not only does he want us to enjoy him in eternity, but he wants us to enjoy him today, in this very moment, right now, that we could live a life that's been healed and made whole and experience experience abundant life. See, that's good news. 
That's good news. Why would anybody be offended to tell them that God loves them so much that he wants to make their life better and put them back together again and reconcile and make them whole? And I get, yes, some people are going to reject that message. To some, that message is foolishness. But you see, they reject the gospel and they don't have to reject the crabby Christian news. We don't have to be afraid to speak those words. Here is your God. Merry Christmas. Here is your God. Now, in, in saying that, um, I believe that one of the single most detrimental things that we can do as Christians during the Christmas season is to get all crabby and standoffish over the cultural celebration of Christmas. Now, I, I say this I say this every year, or I, I think I do anyway, and I could be a hallucinating, I'm not sure, but um, we do not have to correct every person who says happy holidays with a, no, it's Merry Christmas. We don't have to be that person. Because maybe, just maybe, you look Jewish and they didn't want to offend you. Many stores have a policy that their employees in retail cannot wish anybody a Merry Christmas because they have to be inclusive to all faiths. And so they have to say happy holidays. It's their political correctness. And I, I really believe that the Christian, that the person who believes it's their mission in life to correct everybody's happy holiday to a Merry Christmas to me, in my opinion, they're, they're a doofus. And they don't do anything for the gospel of Jesus. Maybe, maybe a better way to handle it, if somebody says, hey, happy holidays, and, and, you, and you, want to, you want to recognize Christ and God, bless them. You know, may God bless you this time of year. May, may, may God bless you richly this time of year. As the church, let's, let's be a blessing in the name of Jesus. Let's actually be Jesus to people. Be Jesus to the Jewish person, to the Muslim person, to the Hindu person, to, to the agnostic, to the atheist. Be Jesus to them. It's okay for them to say happy holidays. And when, and when, when the time is right, and if the time comes becomes available, share the good news. Share the Jesus story. But make it about the news that it really is meant to be about. It's good. It's awesome. It's life. It's freedom. It's wholeness. It's not turn or burn. <laughs> right? And, you know, and, and it's, it's within that posture of our hearts that we can celebrate. When, when we can celebrate the incarnation. We can celebrate Jesus. We can celebrate God. When, when that's our posture, when it's not this, this eh, that uh, you're going to fix the world, because remember, you can't fix the world. We can't even fix ourselves. How are we going to fix the world? And it's okay. It's okay to put a manger on your lawn and have Rudolph as one of the animals looking at baby Jesus. It's okay. It's okay to read the Christmas story from the Bible and then read the Christmas carol. It's, it's okay. Because what we do in our hearts 
where our heart is, it's focused on Jesus, then, then everything becomes sacred. Everything becomes holy. And we do it with the heart of Christ. Pray for those people who would contradict the Christ story. Pray for those people who, who would contradict you. I mean, the scriptures tell us in Luke chapter 12 that Jesus didn't come for peace, but he came for, for division. Let the gospel be division. It's, it's, it is divisive, but let the gospel message be the divisive thing, not your attitude or your tone or your arrogance or your, your, your holiday angst. The gospel of Jesus Christ comes against those things. It comes against religiosity. It comes against all the striving and earning, trying to earn our way into heaven and earning salvation. It goes against us trying to fix ourselves. What the gospel shows us is that we are truly, we're truly helpless before a holy God. We really are. And no matter what we think in our head, we try to put it all back together, we really are helpless before a holy God. And that can make some people uncomfortable. And it should make some people uncomfortable. But allow the message to make them uncomfortable and not you being a doofus. I'm not saying any of you are. It's that other church over there. <laughs> Notice how I didn't point over there because I didn't want to get in trouble. <laughs> but in that, the word must go out, church. It must go out. It's a freedom news. It's wholeness news. It has to be proclaimed. When Jesus preached his message, when Jesus preached his message, the common sinner folk, they wanted to be near him. They wanted to follow him. They wanted to hear what he had to say. You know who wanted to kill him? The religious people. They didn't like him. What does that tell you? It tells me that the scandalous love of God is poured out to all the world, especially us common folk. It tells me in that scandalous love, I, I can find wholeness and healing. I can find forgiveness. Isn't that the gospel message for Christmas? Here is your God. And then the last few verses. See, the sovereign Lord comes with power and rules with a mighty arm. See, his reward is with him, and his recompense accompanies him. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. I see in those two verses a real contradiction of the way the Lord comes. Verse 10, he talks about this. He comes with power. He comes with a, with a mighty arm. And then verse 11, it says that he's, he comes with the tenderness of a shepherd caring for his flock. Such a beautiful picture of God. But this is what I do know that it is going to take the strength of God to set the captives free. It is going to take the strength of God to bring sight to the blind. Satan is alive and well, and he is operating in this world. Sin is alive and well, and it operates in the hearts of all people. Yes, even the Christian. And it's going to take more than us to fix that. It takes the power and the strength of God. And it's in his mighty power that we are saved. It's in his mighty power that we, um, we have been set free. But look at that. He doesn't come to manipulate. He doesn't come to instill 
fear. He doesn't come to, he doesn't use that power to pour down fire and brimstone and just wait for you to mess up in the slightest bit so he can give you a holy crack on the back of the head. He comes with that power, but he brings it in in the context of tenderness. He gathers us. He's calling us. He wants us to be safe. He wants to put his arms around us and say, it's okay. I walk with you through this. He wants us to put, he wants to put us back together again. That mighty power is not used against us. The mighty power is used to save us and put us back together and make us whole. There has never been or will there ever be a human that can overcome or even handle the evil spiritual forces that are in, this, that are in our worlds. And so God sends Jesus. His power, his strength, and his tenderness and care People born of sin can't do what the Savior born, of a, born as a man who didn't sin can do. Jesus kept the law perfectly without sin. And he defeated evil. He defeated Satan. And he conquered death. The end of Matthew's gospel quotes Jesus as saying, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Those are Jesus' words. All authority has been given to him. He has the authority to give us eternal life and salvation to all who would just believe in him, who would receive him. When we receive him, you are called children of God. Later on in Isaiah, he'll write that by his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many and he will bear their iniquities. Jesus takes our sin upon himself. Is that good news to you? Is that the posture that's in your heart about the gospel? Because when that becomes the most amazing news that you've ever heard in your entire life, then you cannot help but to share it with a loving excitement to those around us. And things like Happy Holidays and Rudolph and Frosty the Snowman and it just, it just doesn't, you can engage them. It doesn't matter. Let me tell you this. Frosty will never replace Christ. I'm telling you, you don't have to worry. Yes, Jesus had a beard and so does Santa, but they're never going to be one in the same. We're never going to see Santa on the cross. We don't have to defend against Santa Claus. There's evil forces that are going to keep us Christians from experiencing the joy of this good news. And if we don't, if we don't experience the joy, how can we share that with others? How can we share that with others? Christmas is our Christian story. It's good news for all of us, for the entire world. And so I want to encourage you as we as we ramp up during this time of year to share the Christmas story for what it is meant to be. Good news to all people. Lord, we thank you for the story that you've given us. We thank you for the love that you give us. I pray that as we enter into the season that we would be storytellers of Jesus Christ. 
that we would love on people as Christ did, and that people would be, they would want to listen to us because of what's in our hearts, the joy of the gospel. And so, God, I just ask that you would just rain your Holy Spirit down upon us and may that excitement build in us. We thank you that you did send Jesus. We thank you that you do love us. We thank you that we are a community in that precious name. Amen. 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 I love you guys. I will see you next week.